Hello, and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. And my guest today is Michael Kanick, a partner at Gordon and Reese LLP in San Francisco and a trademark scholar focusing especially on issues relating to beer and specifically craft beer. Uh, so welcome, Mike. It's, it's great to talk to you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. So I was wondering um, if you could start by just talking a little bit about your practice, your interest in trademarks, and really, you know, what is a trademark in, in, the, in the first place? Sure. Yeah. So I'll start with a, a little bit about myself. I'm an intellectual property attorney and litigator. My um, practice focuses on on all types of intellectual property, which includes patents and trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets. And um, I, I don't always spend my days in court. Um, my, my kids uh, think it's funny when I get dressed up in a suit um, and have to throw a tie on. But um, but I, I am in court and, and uh, go to trials as well. But uh, most, most of my time is spent on strategy and working through litigation, um, which uh, I tend to uh, spend most of my time on patent cases because those are cases that uh, that need more time, um, a lot more involved in in uh, dealing with patents. Um, and I'm not a patent attorney, but I am a, a patent litigator. And then uh, as far as trademarks go uh, and, and craft beer, I've, I've been um, interested in, in beer. I was introduced to craft beer years ago and, and just found that it was uh, something I was interested in. And there were always craft beer uh, disputes over trademarks, uh, some of which were um, very friendly and uh, showed that the craft beer community was a unique community, and others were very heated, um, especially in social media, uh, which also shows that the craft beer community um, is very um, uh, uh, unique. And it, you know, craft craft beer fans love their local brewery, they love their local beers, um, they will defend them. And then uh, when someone else uh, steals their intellectual property or when they get involved in a, in a trademark dispute, uh, it tends to uh, bring out the best and worst in people, um, a lot of loyalty. And uh, I, I've been following that closely over the years and, and keeping track of a lot of different disputes, whether it be in, uh, in uh, trade, uh, trademarks or uh, whether it's involving craft beer or wine and spirits and, and other beverages. Great, great. Well, I'm really interested to hear more about some of these war stories and observations about how things have played out on the ground. But for those of our listeners who aren't so familiar with intellectual property, can you talk a little bit about what a trademark is and what kinds of things a trademark law can protect? That's a, it's a great question. So um, people who don't know anything about intellectual property and don't know about trademarks, the way I describe it to them is um, if you think of a particular letter, a particular color, a particular um, name, logo, drawing, anything like that, if you if you picture it um, and it makes you think of a particular brand or a particular company, what we in trademark lawyer speak, call it an indication of a source. So if you think of a, the golden arches or a big yellow M with rounded edges at the top of the M, you know that it's McDonald's and you can picture 
that the McDonald's hamburger and fries will taste the same at any McDonald's location you go to. Um, same goes for um, uh, color uh, and, and logos and, and even the way a word is said, whether it's a song or anything else. Uh, it could be a jingle is, is uh, how it's usually called. Um, anything that indicates a source mm-hmm. could be a trademark. Um, and one other um, thing that kind of harkens back to the, my childhood is the smell of Play-Doh. Mm. Um, you know, the, the Play-Doh, the, the brand that owns Play-Doh is, has sought and obtained trademark protection for the smell of Play-Doh. Um, and, you know, you don't need to get a trademark registered with the USPTO, the government agency, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, but you can get it registered, and that provides you with some extra protection. Right. So, you know, I think usually people think about trademarks as as like a word or a name or a logo, but it sounds like trademark law can be a lot broader than that. Yes, it can. It, and the majority of people, uh, well, let's just say the majority of companies do use words do use logos and phrases to tell consumers, you know, this is my product. If you see it on the store shelves um, or you hear someone talking about it, I want you to, to think of that as our product. Um, so those are the most common. It's, it's hard to think of a brand that doesn't have a trademark as its uh, name of its company, the name of its product, uh, especially with, with beer and breweries. Um, you know, your, your brewery name is the name of, uh, it is your trademark. Uh, even if you don't have it registered, people in, you know, think of it as an indication of your, your beer and, and it is a valuable asset for any company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in my experience, a lot of lay people and unfortunately a lot of journalists often confuse different kinds of intellectual property law in particular, uh, trademark and copyright seem to get yes. mixed up a lot of the time. And I was wondering if you could just remind people about what the differences between those, those two areas of law are and, and why it's important to distinguish between them. Yeah. And, um, you know, this comes up a lot. There, there is some overlap, which uh, even when certain lawsuits are filed, uh, people, you know, whether you're a journalist writing an article or whether you're someone reading an article or, or commenting on it on, on social media, you will see a lot of, um, People, you know, referring to a trademark or referring to a copyright when they they actually legally mean the other one. Um, there is some overlap. There was recently a lawsuit uh, that involved both trademarks and copyrights. Um, when I saw someone comment about it on Twitter, uh, it was obvious that that there could be a trademark, and I said, I think they mean trademark here, not copyright. And, and the comment was, here's here's a link to the complaint. It actually is asserting a copyright in this in this instance, and. uh, What they were asserting was the image, uh, which was a copyrighted image, Um, uh, not just what their logo was, but it was it was beyond a logo. It was um, and I can't recall exactly what it was, but uh, something that could be protected um, under copyright could be a photograph or a um, uh, some sort of artistic uh, imagery. You know, a painting could be protected by copyright. so uh, a trademark is an indication of a source. A copyright does not necessarily indicate uh, the source of the product, but it's rather an um, artistic image. Um, and, and you know, people also think of uh, copyrights with respect to song lyrics, 
movies. So it could be um, in, in many different sources um, or mediums. Okay. Okay. So, so trademark then is a source indicating mark. So something that tells you where a product or a service is coming from. Why are trademarks important to your clients, especially your craft beer clients and, and how do they use them? So the, the most important thing um, is to try to think of a, a unique I, um, we call it a mark, a trademark, a unique word or phrase that will will indicate to people that it's you. Uh, you don't want to take um, something that is a famous, uh, in, you know, indication of a movie or a famous phrase from someone else because, you know, there may be ten breweries that all think that that's a great idea. You'll see a lot of references to famous people, to uh, movies, to to sayings from movies, uh, to song lyrics. Um, one that I've seen a lot of recently is the Big Lebowski. Is you know a lot of different breweries are referencing the Big Lebowski, and and if you're a local uh, consumer of a product from that particular brewery, you will think. Oh, if I see a big Lebowski beer, it's something of that brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you go across the country and go to another brewery, and you see that they also have a big Lebowski beer. So it's it's um, you don't have to be unique, but it is uh, better to come up with a name for your products that is um, an indication of you, not an indication of someone else. Mm-hmm. That being said, you can always get a license and uh, work with a um, you know, a, a celebrity or work with an artist to use with authorization their names, their logos, their, you know, lyrics to their song as an indication that you are affiliated with them. And, and that can be very successful. Well, how does that work in the context of something like you just described, right? So you were talking about how a lot of different breweries are using Big Lebowski, references on on their products. Now, I could see how I might associate a particular Big Lebowski reference with a particular brewery, but, you know, I also associate it with the Coen brothers. Um, how, do, how does that work? Yeah, and the, and I, you know, a lot of licensing and authorization happens behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, you'll see um, an article or see some sort of um, uh, indication that someone is using the name of an artist or, uh, uh, you know, quotes from a movie or, or indications of, of the Big Lebowski or another character from a movie. Um, you'll see that they do have it with authorization. Um, you'll see that with Dogfish Head works with uh, really popular musicians and comes out with a beer that they advertise as a collaboration. Um, so you know that they have authorization. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't always know uh, with this type of product whether it's something that is authorized um, unless they, they tell you. And, and even if someone advertises that it's authorized, you don't always know. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as how do you know or how does it work, uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can come to an agreement. Um, and it, it's just important to to communicate and to talk um, and always get lawyers involved because lawyers can can consider different things that you haven't thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a um, lawsuit going on here in the Northern District of California relating to Brother Thelonious, which is a famous jazz musician, but it's also a beer here. Um, and there's uh, some disputes over 
what use of the name is authorized um, and also the logo, the artistic work. Um, the issue is is somewhat relating to a license agreement and also exceeding the license. So uh, it is important to get lawyers involved at the outset to make sure that the parties are on the same page and have considered all of the you know, possibilities of what could happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And if something is anticipated that it could, you know, cause trouble in the future, it's good to work it out in the beginning so that everyone's on the same page. Right. So, I mean, maybe we could, you could drill down just a little bit more on that for me, because I think this is an interesting thing. You know, you mentioned two different scenarios, one in which somebody's using a quote or a reference to the Big Lebowski, another in which somebody's using a reference to Thelonious Monk in relation to a beer product that that they're selling from the perspective of the person who wants to use the reference or wants to use the celebrity name, what kinds of questions would they have to think about in order to decide whether or not they would need to get a license or get permission from, uh, you know, the Coen brothers or, uh, or from the Thelonious Monk estate before doing that? Yeah, all great questions. And um, being an attorney myself and a, a litigator, I usually think of things from a litigation standpoint and any lawyer that, that a brewery talks to is going to come up with some very good questions as far as, you know, how do you avoid liability? How do you uh, limit your risk? So there's certain, um, there's certain things there was actually, um, uh, Carla Jean Lauder had a few posts uh, last week on Twitter, which had a little uh, survey, which was, you know, what, which of these is sort of uh, obviously intellectual property theft and which of these are something where you're not quite sure if it's intellectual property theft. Um, in one of the quote, one of the um, uh, options was a brewery takes a phrase from a movie. Um, and another one was, you know, they use the, the logo and the name and, you know, it's just blatant infringement. Um, so there's different things to consider. One is who owns it. One is, you know, what have they done in the past mm. as far as um, suing people? Because there's certain brands that are known for enforcing their trademarks, uh, enforcing their copyrights. Um, and it's important to know who you're up against because that's a, a, an important evaluation of your risks. Mm. If you're going up against someone like Monster Energy Drinks um, or there's a lot of lawsuits relating to um, people trying to file applications to register a session in the name of their beer or mm-hmm. moose relating to a beer. And, and those are just things that you, you see a lot in the news if you're, if you're looking for it. Um, but you also, um, the, you'll see that the owners of certain marks will uh, prevent people from using those marks or obtaining trademark registrations themselves that include those marks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very important to know you don't want to use a uh, certain Lucasfilms phrase, a certain <laughs> monster at reference and uh, moose session beer. That's just mm-hmm. going to be challenged by a lot of different people. Um, if you want to file that application to register a trademark with all those names in it, you know you will be uh, challenged at the opposition stage. Um, and for people who are not trademark attorneys, uh, what what that means is even if the USPTO allows you to get past the stage of uh, 
sort of their analysis of seeing whether you can register a trademark, mm-hmm. it will then be open for opposition. And there's certain companies that will protect their marks that they have and uh, will file oppositions. And it's kind of like a lawsuit. It's, it's expensive. There's some discovery. Um, oftentimes, it tends to result in a very quick settlement mm-hmm. um, and uh, tends not to be drawn out litigation. But every once in a while, it is something that ends up being drawn out litigation. That's interesting. So, I mean, I think many lay people uh, and, and frankly, even us law professors sometimes in, in law school like to treat these questions as, as kind of purely legal questions of, of doctrine yeah. or what the law says. And it sounds like in a lot of cases, they're really more business questions in a lot of ways. Yeah. And what you'll see in the craft beer space nowadays is a lot of on-premise sales at the brewery where they come out with a name that they know will get some attention on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. They know that this, this image of what looks like a LaCroix can, but is a beer, they know that people are going to talk about it. And then they sell out all of their cans at their brewery location in you know one weekend or one day um they tend uh, breweries tend to look at it from a business standpoint not a is this infringing standpoint and and sometimes it's it's blatant uh you know uh, it would be hard to defend um other times it's really um a question of of what would experts say what would a survey say um and and getting getting to the end of a lawsuit doesn't even mean that the that you've won you still have the appellate process so um you know it is do you want to have a an answer today and the answer is probably don't do it or do you want to sell really quickly and then the answer is you you know that's a risk yeah um and uh you probably shouldn't do it i'm an attorney i'm going to tell you not to do it but you're a business person and you may decide it's worth the risk um and uh you know it, it's it really is a business decision a lot of the times because to to win a trademark lawsuit can be very expensive yeah that's funny i've heard a lot of business people describe the in-house lawyer as the person you go to when you want somebody to tell you you're not allowed to do something yes we we will find a way to tell you not to do something <laughs> <laughs> there's that's I, and and you know people uh, one of the first things I remember hearing when I was a, a law student was someone asked, um, can I be sued for this? And the answer was yes. What are the facts? Because you can be sued for anything. Um, and I've, I've been um, representing defendants in lawsuits where they shouldn't have been sued for certain things. And, you know, a plaintiff can sue. Uh, it doesn't mean it's in good faith, but they can sue you for certain things, um, whether they have a right to or not. So, um, you know, being an attorney and being risk adverse, uh, you know, oftentimes your advice is uh, here are the risks and I want you to evaluate these risks for, you know, for you and your business. I would recommend you not do something. Um, but then again, um, if they're asking lawyers the question, then then that's the first step. And that's usually the most important step. And it means that they probably are going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to—I I definitely want to get some sort of specific examples or stories about scenarios you've seen in a moment. But there was one question that I had uh, from reading some of your articles that I was hoping you could expand on a little bit. 
Sure. Because it sounds like, from what I was reading anyway, that in the context of craft beer and kind of alcohol products more broadly, there's an additional layer of regulation or government involvement that isn't there with other kinds of products. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how it works. Yeah. And uh, so unlike, you know, the selling water or selling a, a chair or selling other consumer products, um, although, although various consumer products do have layers of governmental approval, uh, if you think pharmaceuticals, there's specific naming um, conventions. You can't come out with a drug that sounds like someone else's drug. Mm. Um, you also, um, they also look at, at how it's written. If it, if you write, if a doctor writes down a drug name and it looks like another drug, that could be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So there are, you know, there are different industries that have different protocols to protect consumers. Um, in the alcohol space, uh, if you're going to be selling product over state lines in commerce, um, you need to get label approval um, and um, various sales of various alcohol products. When you're trying to get that label approval, you know, you may get rejected. For, for various reasons. So a lot of um, brewers know this. They know that they have to get label approval. They obtain label approval, and then they then they think about their trademarks. Um, so it's important to think of both at the same time and in conjunction with each other. Um, one of my um, uh, favorite stories to go back to is um, with respect to uh, alcohol that has a reference to cannabis. So uh, at Lagunitas, they had a product called uh, Chronic. Uh, at Ale Industries, they had a product called Kush. And the label, uh, when people are looking at the labels and they're looking at it and they realize, okay, well, this this name appears to be referencing something that's illegal um, at the time, at least, or federally illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, then the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and obviously there's layers of what is legal, what is not legal nowadays. Um, but it is important to think of your labeling and your trademarks in conjunction with each other. You want to be able to uh, have a brand that you can protect and keep others from using, but you also you know, have to make sure that it complies with labeling requirements. Uh, you can't be selling something that's um, blatant false advertising, you know, but that may be approved um, by one uh, governing body and not another governing body. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's just, it's a lot more complicated than just working with the USPTO and registering a trademark. You've got, it sounds like a lot of other regulatory agencies and issues you've got to think about at the same time. Yep, yeah, you've got to think about, um, you know, can I get a, a COLA label approval from the federal government? Can I get a state label approval? Can I get a, um, a registered trademark on this? Um, are there others using similar, you know, names and marks, um, similar logos? Are there other people who have registrations, have a registered trademark for those things? Um, then you also have, am I going to be offending people um, hmm. by this logo, you know, by this name? Am I going to to get the attention that I want out of this, mm. um, and you know, or am I am I going to be getting uh, a, attention that you know it, is the bad kind of attention that I don't want? And so, you know, some people say good any attention is good attention, yeah. and in a crowded market space with over six thousand breweries, people you know you need to be able to get attention, but you also want to make sure that uh, 
that it you can sustain that and and have people coming back to you and you know having a, an offensive name or offensive logo design um, is just one more thing to consider. Yeah, no, I always like the Oliver uh, the uh, Oscar Wilde quote. You know, uh, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. <laughs> but um, but I could imagine that if the reason you're being talked about is because you're wildly offensive and people don't like you, that would probably not be great for business. Yeah, it, it depends on your brand. And some people want to have an offensive product, an offensive name. And there's also um, some things may be offensive to, to one group and others may be okay with it. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's good to be um, inclusive, in my opinion, but not everyone's business model is inclusive. Right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's a very, very lawyerly approach, right? It's uh, <laughs> right. different strokes for different folks, you know? Um, yeah. So, so Mike, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit to the extent you're able to, you know, pursuant to client confidentiality and that kind of stuff, um, about specific issues you've managed in the craft beer space and, and how you resolve them. Sure. Um, and I try not to talk about things that are going to, um, impact a client of mine. Um, and, and the thing about a trademark is it really does last forever. As long as you are using your trademark, as long as it's not abandoned, as long as it's not canceled for various reasons, you know, you could have a trademark for, you know, over a hundred years for longer than you could own a copyright. Um, you could, uh, you know, patents only last a limited time, about 20 years, um, and, and, you know, a trademark could last for a very, very long time. So, um, you know, an admission, something, being a litigator, I'm conscious of, of not wanting to talk about specific things that could uh, hurt a client, you know, 100 years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, there's, there's various uh, things that come up oftentimes. And um, uh, when applying for a trademark, sometimes uh, it's not a good decision to file a trademark application. Um, sometimes it's a better business decision not to. Um, it's a very fact-based decision, but um, to use the example I said before, if you're going to be selling a session beer called Monster Moose, uh, Monster Moose session beer with a you know a logo on it that is someone else's copyright and trademark, you do not want to file that trademark application. Mm. Um, I would tell you not to sell the beer too, but mm-hmm. that's your business decision. So um, why, in, in, that, in that context, so break it down a little bit. So like what's sure. the risk differential between selling the product with that mark and registering the mark with the USPTO? Why would one be more risky than the other? Uh, great question. And, and to break it down, um, there are certain situations where you have to think of it from your business standpoint, but you also have to put your, your feet in the shoes of the, the person who owns the trademarks or owns the, the intellectual property that you're copying. Um, first of all, don't do it. Second of all, if you're going to do it, you know, evaluate it. Um, so it, when evaluating it, if you are selling a beer called Monster Moose Session IPA, that is something that has inherent risks with it because other people have registered trademarks for Monster, for Moose, for Session. Um, Lagunitas tried to get one for IPA, and that was a big blow up a couple of years ago as far as on social media. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously, anyone can sell an IPA, and you can always advertise your product as an IPA. So if you were selling a product with those names, 
the likelihood of anyone who owns those registered trademarks suing you in federal court uh, over those registered trademarks is, you know, they are evaluating it from their standpoint and deciding whether they want to sue you, whether they think it's worth it financially, whether they think it's worth it to stop you, to send a message to the industry. Um, and, you know, there may be 10 of you that are all selling something and they're considering, you know, who's the biggest one or do I want to sue them all? Sometimes they decide to sue them all. So um, if they're deciding, you know, which one to sue, you hope that you're not the one that they sue and you hope that your <laughs> business survives long enough, um, you know, with all of your other uh, business concerns. Um, but if you're considering filing a trademark application, you are then putting it out there that you own this and that you can stop others from doing it. So if you get a registered trademark for Monster Moose Session IPA, then each person who owns a registered or each company that owns a registered trademark for you know combinations of those words is going to have an obligation to stop you. And when you put yourself in their shoes at that point, these are companies that tend to file a lot of oppositions and tend to, you know, protect their marks by keeping other people from getting registered marks. Um, sometimes uh, in the non-lawyer speak, we say, you know, you have to use it or lose it, but you also have to keep others from using it or you lose it. Um, so th that's just the consideration is that once you file a trademark application, then they're going to file an opposition. Uh, the the chance of you being you know sued using using non lawyer speak, uh, the chance of you being sued go up substantially because mm -hmm. they are evaluating every trademark that comes through um, to see whether they will be filing opposition, and and yours is coming up and it's being put right on their desk and they have to make a decision quickly, and their decision is usually this is not going to be that expensive for them, it'll be very expensive for you, so. Uh, they they usually will file those oppositions. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, maybe you could talk a little bit about the Lagunitas IPA brouhaha, as it were, because um, I thought that was a great story and actually kind of had an, a, a social element that I think is really interesting to consider. Yeah, and this this really is the difference between craft beer um and just beer in general compared to other industries. Um, Lagunitas filed and obtained trademarks, registered trademarks for various logos, for various uh, labels that they have showing their, their, what I think is a fairly distinctive IPA in all caps, but with a, a distinct font. Mm -hmm. So their font, their logo, I mean, a lot of people, uh, Lagunitas' IPA is everywhere. Um, so a lot of people, when they say, you know, what kind of beers do you have? It's an IPA. Like uh, people who are serving beer just say, do you want a Lagunitas? Um, it, it's, you know, they are talking about the IPA that they sell. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a, it is uh, distributed widely, um, even before they were uh, purchased. And it's a brand that's out there. So it's, it's, it's a very popular brand. And Sierra Nevada came out with a product that had IPA in all capital letters, which is pretty familiar in, uh, in the brewing industry to be selling an IPA uh, and to be selling it using all capital letters IPA. Um, and someone 
made the decision. I wasn't involved in it. My law firm wasn't involved in it um, on either side, but someone made the decision to file a uh, trademark litigation in federal court mm. um, uh, claiming that that the Sierra Nevada IPA label looked too much like the Lagunitas IPA label and mm -hmm. uh, trademark. So the, the reason that this is different than any other industry is you don't hear about very many trademark lawsuits in, in various industries, number one, just because they're not that interesting. People tend to not care about it. Um, a lot of the other lawsuits I work on are, never make it into social media at all because just people aren't that interested in it. Mm -hmm. uh, with craft beer, it, it made it into the uh, into social media and newspapers very quickly. Um, and with the Lagunitas IPA situation, a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of backlash about, you know, why did Lagunitas file this lawsuit? They aren't the only IPA around. Uh, IPA is the most popular craft beer style. Um, and there was a huge backlash and a lot of people saying a lot of different things on social media about how, you know, this lawsuit's silly and should not have been filed. Um, so eventually, very quickly, um, <laughs> Tony McGee from Lagunitas um, was responding to things uh, that people were saying on on. Uh, on Twitter and he basically said, we're going to dismiss this lawsuit. And I think that was within two business days wow. that they dismissed it. Um, and that doesn't happen in other industries um, where you can file a lawsuit and see how it's going to um, play in the, in the public eye and decide how quickly to dismiss it. Um, it, it, it was very quick. It was within a week, uh, maybe a couple of days. But his, his interactions with people on social media, with people who are fans of both breweries, uh, people who are fans of his brewery that thought, you know, I'm not going to drink your beer anymore mm. because of this lawsuit. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's strategic reasons to file lawsuits. But a lot of, you know, the cease and desist letters, a lot of these um, things get out into the the media and get out into social media and people talk about them mm -hmm. um, and, and people it, it's a, it's an interesting uh, consumer base and people are very spirited. Yeah. Well, Mike, you know, it's been great to get like a practical perspective on how licensing and trademarks work in a particular area of, of business. And I wanted to wrap it up by just throwing a last question to you. You know, I know that you yourself are a home brewer. I take you've been home brewing for a while now. And I was wondering how, you know, your experiences as a home brewer and your experiences in the homebrew community have influenced or affected your uh, take on kind of the craft beer space and your work as a lawyer in that space? Yeah, thanks. Um, so when I lived in San Francisco, uh, and, and now I've got two kids and live uh, a little south in the suburbs, but when I lived in the city and went to law school, I was a lot more involved in the local breweries that were not yet open and were selling out of their garages. Um, a lot of uh, meetup groups, uh, SF Brew Labs was one that they would meet together. There's a lot of very, um, 
very intelligent people in San Francisco doing very interesting things with beer and doing a lot of analytical things. And I remember going to one where we were, we could vote on which ones we liked the best and there was like updates and everything. And um, of course, no matter um, what you're doing with beer, you have to be able to describe the beer to people so they know what they're going to drink. Mm -hmm. And you also want to differentiate between two different IPAs by what you're going to call it. So um, people would use very interesting and witty names, which is probably fine in a, in a homebrew uh, environment. Of, of course, a lot of these homebrewers become big brewers um, or at least um, big locally. So, you know, they start with homebrewing and they make some really good recipes and they figure out how to, how to do it. And they figure out that they have a passion for it. Um, and sometimes they want to carry those names along and there's their, their logos that they had for their homebrew. And uh, that could get them in a little bit of trouble. Uh, it's hard to convince someone to stop doing something that they're, that they and their family and friends are all passionate about. Um, and it's also, you'll see a lot of uh, references to cloned big beer or cloned, you know, common uh, brands. And you almost have to refer to them that way in a homebrew environment so that people know, oh, this is going to be just like Lagunitas is IPA, and then they taste it and they say, oh, that's pretty good, you know, <laughs> um, or tastes really bad. <laughs> no wonder <laughs> I quite know, know that just, one, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they can give you feedback because they know what, you know, you're communicating with them what they should expect from that beer, uh, from that homebrew. So I, I do think it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great group to be involved in as much as you can. Um, and a lot of people that I've, because I've been involved in homebrew, a lot of people that I know um, just socially through various means, um, you know, when they have the same passion, it's, it's, it's exciting to talk about something other than work or family and, you know, to talk about beer. Um, I know you homebrew as well. So yeah. it's, it's nice to talk about. Indeed. Indeed. I'm just finishing up a uh, raisin ginger mead right now. So. Ah, fun. <laughs> well, Mike, I can been, picture it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a real pleasure talking to you about trademarks and craft beer, two of my favorite subjects. And uh, uh, I hope I can meet you in person sometime soon. Thanks, Brian. And I appreciate uh, having the time and, and look forward to talking to you. And uh, as I mentioned, I've, you know, I'm working on a book. So a lot of uh, like getting more stories from other people who are deep in the trenches and hearing about their personal stories and their favorite stories. Um, it, it'll be a fun experience for me over the next year. Excellent. Well, we'll have to do another episode when your book comes out. That sounds great. Thank you. Awesome. Bye-bye.